Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. I've had a couple of friends go to be with the Lord, and it didn't make sense to me because, Lord, surely we need them in the fight. But God didn't think so. So there's things in life that we have to recognize that sometimes we're not going to be able to figure it out. It's going to look one way to us, but we have to trust the Lord. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Acts. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Acts, chapter 12, in a message titled, The Word Increased and Multiplied. Now, here's Pastor Brian. All right, so here we are, picking up our study. We're carrying on through the book of Acts here, and today our message is entitled, The Word Increased and Multiplied, and that comes from the the 24th verse. So we're going to ultimately focus on the 24th verse, but before we do that, I want to look at the story and look at five things in regard to the story. Then I want to look at five other points that are applicational to the story. So, but as, as we pick up here in the narrative of Acts chapter 12, the scene shifts briefly now back to Jerusalem. So maybe you remember we've been in Antioch. That's where much of the previous Stuff has been happening there, the, the church that's been established there in Antioch. So a lot of the ministry was revolving around that. So now we're just, as we follow the story, we're, we're temporarily back in Jerusalem here. And we see that the, the church in Jerusalem is once again under a severe attack. So there's been kind of a subsiding of the hostilities for a season after the early persecutions, after the persecution that was led by Saul, Tarsus, who is now a a believer and an advocate of the gospel. There was a subsiding of the persecution, but all of a sudden, everything flares up again. And the first thing that we see is that James, the brother of John, is put to death by Herod Agrippa I. So this is obviously a massive blow to the early church. Remember, James was one of the three men who was in what you might call the inner circle with Jesus. Jesus had 12 apostles. We know one of them, Judas, was a, was a, a traitor. So, but we've got 11 minus Judas. But then you've got the three And oftentimes in the Gospels, you find that Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, and they are with him in a lot of these intimate ministry scenes. So here's one of the guys who's part of the inner circle, no doubt a very significant figure in those early days of ministry. And suddenly he is just taken out by by Herod. And then as we read, Peter is also arrested, and the intention of Herod is to put Peter to death after 
the, the Passover week. All of this happened during the Passover time. Uh, so Herod doesn't want to create too much of a stir. So he decides, I'm going to put Peter to death, but, but he's going to postpone it. And he does all of this because he sees that this is giving him a little more favor with the Jewish leadership. So the first thing we see is that the opposition to the gospel has resurged and in a very uh, fierce way. Um, But the thing that we also see is that the church went to prayer. And really, this was the, the right thing to do. And in, in some ways, it was the only thing they could do. You know, they didn't have any political power. They didn't, couldn't pull any strings with any of the authorities. They were really, you know, subject to the situation. But they did the right thing. They turned to the Lord. They turned to the Lord in prayer. And no doubt, to some degree, the, the prayer contributed to what happens after this. And this is that Peter, who on on the very night before his execution, Peter is visited by an angel and he is delivered from the situation. So we have opposition to the gospel. We have earnest prayer on the part of the church. And then we have divine intervention. And that's where I want to pick up and just read a few verses to us, beginning here in verse six. So When Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chain fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, put on your garments and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So we see here God's intervention. Now, we don't know why James was allowed to die. And, and Peter, who, again, you know, Herod intended to execute, uh, Peter was set free. Uh, they, again, as I said, they were both part of this inner circle with Jesus. You know, you would look at somebody like James and you would think, well, Lord, surely we need James around. Surely you should deliver James as well. We, we need James and Peter. But God allows James to die, but he sets Peter free. And why was that? We, we don't know. 
But in situations like this, we just have to recognize that, you know, God's plans are not always going to line up with the way we think things should go. And, and of course, for us, we generally tend to think that, you know, the best human outcome is going to be the best possible outcome for the bigger picture. But, but that's not necessarily true. God uses everything, and sometimes he uses even something like a, a, a fierce persecution that results in the, the deaths of God's servants. He actually uses that for the greater purpose of the advancement of his kingdom. And, and of course, for the person who dies, like James, it's a benefit to James because James is now finished. He's finished the race. He, he's, he's now in glory with the Lord. Obviously, it's the people left on earth that are the ones who suffer the most. But God has his purposes. I've had uh, a couple of friends go to be with the Lord, and it didn't make sense to me. Still doesn't make sense to me. I thought for sure that they were going to be healed. They needed to be healed because, Lord, surely we need them in the fight. We need them here and now. But apparently, God didn't think so. God has another plan. So there's things in life that we have to recognize that, that sometimes we're not going to be able to figure it out. It's going to look one way to us, but we have to trust the Lord. Now, as I said, remember, James is the brother of John. These are the sons of Zebedee. John outlives everybody. John, as far as we know from the record, John is the, the, the apostle who lives the longest. And maybe you remember in the gospel of John, there's a moment because Peter, although he's liberated from prison on this occasion, eventually Peter is also going to die a martyr's death. And Jesus told him that. He told him in advance. He said, when you were young, you went and did what you wanted to do. But when you get old, you're going to stretch out your hands. They're going to lead you to a place that you do not want to go. And John says that Jesus spoke this concerning the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And Peter and John were together with Jesus when this conversation took place. And when Jesus said this to Peter, you know what his response was? His response was, looking over to John, his response was, well, what about him? <laughs> Understandable response. That's the exact response I would give as well. <laughs> but Peter eventually is martyred. John lives on. John is the one who receives the revelation. So all that to say, God, God is in control. And just like God intervened in Peter's situation, he certainly could have intervened with James as well. So we have to conclude that God has a plan that sometimes is different than what we think it should be, but it's the right plan. Now, divine intervention. What I want us to just grab hold of really quickly is that this is something that didn't just happen back then. One of the reasons why we're studying the book of Acts is because we see in the book of Acts, we see how you know, the gospel began, how it progressed, how the church grew and expanded. And as we look at the story of the past, what we're also wanting to continue to remind ourselves of 
is it is the, the picture of, of what things are to be presently. So these are not just historical events that we would have no experience of. These are historical events that show us the possibilities for the church and the people of God all throughout the, the history. And so just as Peter is divinely delivered from this situation, we can also expect that there will be times of divine intervention and deliverance from God in our day. And, and I want to say this because, you know, we have a tendency sometimes to dismiss things that are actually supernatural. We're sometimes tempted and sometimes even encouraged by others to take things that, that really do seem to be supernatural, but try to kind of naturalize them. And then, you know, where on the one hand, if it was supernatural, we have a, a real clear sense that, man, God was at work. God did something. But then if we naturalize it, we just say, oh, well, I don't know if it was the Lord or not. It was just, you know, it just worked out this way. And, and there's a tendency, there's kind of two extremes. I mean, some people can, they see a miracle in everything, which isn't true. But then there's the other extreme where people are very reluctant to, to acknowledge or to recognize that God's going to work supernaturally. So we don't want to be crazy and just attribute anything and everything to the miraculous power of God. But at the same time, we don't want to be faithless and just reduce everything to the natural. And funny enough, in the story here, if you read some of the, the commentators on the story, there are commentators who want to naturalize this. Well, an angel probably was just, the word angel means messenger. This is probably a messenger. This is an inside job. This is somebody who was, you know, working on the inside. They came and, you know, it wasn't really an angel like we think of an angel. It was just a, a messenger who came and was, you know, had the key and was able to get Peter out. Uh, that's what Herod thought. Herod thought that there was some sort of an inside job here. That's why in the end he has the soldiers executed because they, they let him, they let Peter get away. But when you read the story, that's not, it's not an inside job. It's not a, a mere man who's doing this. It, this is a supernatural thing. The chains automatically fall off Peter's wrist and ankles. And the two guards that he's sleeping between, they don't wake up when the angel awakens Peter and raises him up. And when they come to, they're probably in the, what's known as the Antonia Fortress, which would be the, the, the barracks and it would include a prison. But then the door opens out into the city. But it says that it opened of its own accord, meaning that it wasn't opened by a person who had the key. So all, all of that just to remind us that, that God does do things supernaturally. And we need to recognize that even today. So uh, a young lady today said to me after the service, she said, and she went and got baptized this morning. And after the baptism, she said, she said, you know, there was a situation a while back and I knew it was the Lord and I knew it was like a divine intervention. But then I had this strong temptation to just sort of naturalize it. And, and I, and she said, and I kind of did that. And in naturalizing it, I kind of dismissed you know, the fact that God was doing something through it. And she said, your message this morning really convicted me 
that I needed to recognize that, no, that was the Lord. So when things happen in your life or things happen in my life that you look at and you see, it just seems like God's hands here. Don't just dismiss that as, well, it was probably just a coincidence. No, believe that God is at work. Believe that it was the Lord who did that and, and thank him for it and expect him to do those kinds of things because he does do those kinds of things. So we see that Peter is delivered. Uh, as we go through the rest of the account here, Peter, once he's released, he goes to the house of Mary, the mother of John, Mark, and there everybody's gathered together praying for him. He knocks on the door and uh, this young woman, Rhoda, she comes to the door. Peter says, it's me, it's Peter. And she's so excited, she doesn't even open the door. She runs back into the room where everybody's praying and says, hey, Peter's at the door. And you know what they say? You're crazy. Peter's not at the door. Peter's dead. That's probably just his spirit. So it, we talked about prayer, the importance of prayer earlier. These guys didn't even believe what they were praying for was going to be answered. <laughs> and God still answered it. So, you know, even sometimes we're praying and we don't necessarily believe it. But you know what? God's going to do what he's going to do. So. Finally, as the story finally unfolds here, the end of the story is that of Herod being struck down and killed by God, and we see the divine retribution. So, so the chapter starts very bleakly with Herod putting to death James and imprisoning Peter. It ends with Herod dying because God strikes him down at a particular moment. And then it says, but the word of God grew or increased and multiplied. So the intention in the beginning from Herod, who no doubt is being manipulated by Satan, is to stop the progress of the gospel. And what a better way to do it? Kill the apostles, get rid of these leaders, and we'll stop the advance of the gospel. But in the end, the forces that came against the gospel are stopped and the gospel keeps going forward. Just really quickly, Herod here, there, there's many people in scripture that are Herod, right? There's way back at the birth of Jesus, you have Herod who was known as Herod the Great. And then during the ministry of Jesus, there's another Herod. Uh, this is Herod Antipas. Now, this is another Herod and he is Herod Agrippa I. And he is the grandson, one of the grandsons of the first Herod, Herod the Great. So his father, his grandfather was Herod the Great, but his, his grandmother was actually a Jewish princess. There was a, a, a dynasty known as the Hasmonean dynasty. They were the priest kings of uh, Judea and Herod was connected to them as well. So, so this guy, Herod Agrippa I, he would have had some favor with the Jewish leadership simply because he had Jewish blood in him. But he was also greatly favored by the Romans. And he is the king over Judea. So since his, his grandfather Herod died in approximately 6 AD, there, there was no other single ruler over the entire land until Herod Agrippa I came to power. I think it was Claudius Caesar who put him 
in, in the place. So prior to that, Pontius Pilate, for example, was the, the ultimate ruler in the region in Judea, serving under Caesar. But Agrippa is made the king over the area. Now it says here in the story that the people of Tyre and Sidon, Herod was angry with them. And so they came to him with one accord and they made this man Blastus, the king's personal aide. They made him their friend and they came and they sought peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So, so Luke paints a scene for us here. And he says, so on a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting the voice of a God and not of a man. And then Luke says, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. Now, just hold on for a second here. And I, I'm making this point because, you know, people often criticize the Bible. People say, well, you know, the Bible is just full of myths and legends and there's no historical validity to it. You know, there's a Jewish historian named Josephus who wrote about the wars of the Jews and the destruction of Jerusalem. He lived after the time of Jesus. He lived around this time. And he wrote about this very incident. And it is almost identical to what Luke wrote, except Josephus gives a little more detail. And so it says that he was arrayed in royal apparel. And what Josephus tells us is that Herod was wearing a garment that was embedded with silver. And he was there probably on, on the platform at Caesarea at that large theater there that is still there today. And as the sun was uh, coming up in the morning, the sun shone on that silver and illuminated Herod so he looked like some sort of a deity. And the people started shouting that he was a god. And as he took that praise, now Josephus doesn't tell us uh, an angel struck him down, but Josephus does say that he was suddenly smitten right there during this you know, event that he's involved in. He, he was smitten and then five days later he died. Luke tells us that it was actually God who struck him down. So it's just an interesting connection between Josephus and Luke. And uh, Luke is a first-rate historian, and we see that the stories are almost identical. So that's the story. That's the 12th chapter. But the thing that I want to really focus in on is, again, verse 24. But the word of God grew and multiplied. The word of God advanced. Now, one of the chief objectives of the church is to see the word of God increase and multiply. That's what the church is all about. And whenever the church forgets that, loses sight of that, no longer believes that to be the case, you know what? The church just becomes absolutely useless ineffective and oftentimes even counterproductive in a culture. So we have to do everything we can to hold fast to the truth of God because it's through the word of God that God does his work. God's word saves the sinner and sanctifies the saint. Without the preaching of God's word, people aren't going to get saved. And without the teaching of God's word, people are not going to grow in their faith.
For the month of April, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled 10 Questions Every Teen Should Ask and Answer About Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. Teens today are faced with challenging questions about the Christian faith. How can they believe that the Bible is true? Who cares if you're a boy or a girl? Isn't love just love no matter what? In her book, 10 Questions Every Teen Should Ask and Answer About Christianity, Rebecca McLaughlin addresses these and other questions that teens ask themselves or are confronted with. If you're a parent, grandparent, guardian, or friend, this book will make an excellent gift for a tween or teen to help them tackle the challenging questions of this generation. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. To order 10 Questions Every Teen Should Ask and Answer About Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Acts. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.